This Prop Talk recording is a news and opinion product that is the property of Original Prop Blog LLC, all rights reserved. Original Prop Blog LLC is not responsible for any statements or opinions expressed by the guests of this program. Live on tape from the OPB studios in Northern California, it's Prop Talk. Brought to you by the Original Prop Blog, we're making analog connections across the world. Each podcast features one-on-one chats with special guests to discuss the hobby of collecting original movie props and costumes. The Original Prop Blog is the original source of news, information, and opinion about authentic popular culture artifacts and memorabilia from film and television. Now, let's join our host, Jason DeBorg. Okay, so um, welcome to Prop Talk, and today my guest is uh, Mr. Brian Muir, which is really exciting. Welcome, Brian. Thank you very much for talking to me, Jason. Oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, Brian has been a sculptor um, in and out of the film industry and has had a pretty long and distinguished career, so I thought it would be really great to um, talk with him for one of my podcasts. I know you have a website, um, BrianMuirVaderSculptor.com, and you've um, become pretty active in the online community with with um, fans of Star Wars and other films. And then you've got your book out, In the Shadow of Vader. And before we get started, I thought maybe you'd want to talk a little bit about your website and about your book, just so people can go online and find a little bit more information about you. Well, the um, the website we've got together in the last four years or so, after so many films, I thought it was about time that got it online and come up to date a bit. Um, as it is, I mean, I've worked on about 70 films, but as I was so terrible in taking photographs <laughs> of my work, uh, in fact, I haven't got a single photograph I took on Star Wars, um, there's only about 30, 30 odd films are actually covered on the website, but there are a lot, a lot of good pictures, and it does show the standard of the work that I've, I've actually done over the years, mainly in the film industry, but some outside as well. Okay. Um, the, the book, again, it's something that I'd wanted to do for a long time, and about three years ago, uh, Lindsay and myself were sitting out in Florida at our place, and <laughs> I said, oh, it, you know, it'd be nice to start the book at some time. And she said, well, let's start. So we started started writing the first few pages out there. And um, it probably took about 18 months between working and that to actually write the book and get, get it um, published. And, uh, yes, I mean, it's been selling very well. Um, we've had a lot of good feedback on the book. And you can actually buy it through Amazon. Okay. Dot um, UK, and um, you can come. They can come straight to us through uh, the website or through to my email and um, approach us directly and get signed copies if that, anyone wants it. Okay, and your email address is published on your website, so you're pretty um, accessible. Yes, yes, we okay. are now. Okay, well, let's go back, and you know, I'm I'm kind of interested in in. Um, your influences, um, how you got started in sculpting, your education. So have you always been um, kind of an artist and, and did you try other disciplines or did, were you always really interested in sculpting? Um, 
well, at school, I I was I really got interested in art when I was about fourteen, which is in the third year of the senior school, and I spent a lot of time down in the art room, never thinking that I would be a professional sculptor or artist in any way, but just like doing it. And when I finished school, I actually had an apprenticeship as a um, carpenter. And um, I said to my mother, it's not really what I wanted to do, that um, I'd love to do something you know, involving art. And she said she knew someone down at the uh, employment agency and she'd approach her. And I, I can't believe how lucky I was looking back now, but there, they, she said that, uh, come down that, um, to see her. And I did an, had an interview and, uh, she said, well, they had a, um, an opening down at, uh, Associated British Productions, which is now Elstree Studios, um, for a sculptor. Um, was I interested? But they were very fussy. They'd turned down 12 people already. So I, I went for the interview, um, saw the personnel officer, and then Arthur Healy came down um, to see me, who was the resident sculptor there. And uh, he saw my work. I had an interview with him, and he seemed to take to me. And a week after, one behold, I had a letter arrived on the doorstep saying I had the job. <laughs> So at the age of 16, I went into, um, I was the, well, first apprentice in the studios and the only one ever. So I was incredibly lucky. Uh, I had a fantastic training, um, going to art college part-time, two, two days and two nights a week. Well, Sundays I went as well, doing life drawing, life modeling, um, wood carving, stone carving. So, you know, lettering, I covered the whole thing there at college, but also I was working on films and was being trained trained by the resident sculptor at Elstree. Hmm. So, I mean, that's the start I had, which was unbelievable, really. I mean, uh, at such a young age, 20 when I finished my apprenticeship, and um, the film industry was in a bad way, so unfortunately they didn't hold on to me. Um, so I went out at 20, but I had the skill level to go on at 20 to be doing, um, prestigious work all around London. I don't know whether you've seen the website, but you can see the coats of arms that I did for the Crown Court, um, work that was unveiled by the Queen and Queen Mother. So I spent three years doing all that type of work, as I say, at a very young age. And then it was at um, 23, I had that phone call from, funny enough, the guy that I trained under saying that there was a film going at Elstree. Was I interested in going in and working on it? And uh, lo and behold, it was the now iconic film, Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, pretty much changed your life then, because you, was, so was that the first film that you really worked on? Well, it was the first major film that I worked on, and it was my fir- the first film back into the film industry after. I, I was only away from the film industry for three years, uh-huh. um, but it was the first real major film that I worked on, and, um, you know, closely with characters that are, you know, the main characters that were going to be on the film. So it was a great film to go back in into the film industry with. I mean, they don't come around very often, that sort of film. So it was uh, it was great to be working on it. 
Yeah, and about how long did you work on Star Wars? It was about um, four to four and a half months, but being that I did so much overtime, it, it, uh, in, it sort of was like it was longer than that, because I did actually 76 days without a day off at one point. Wow. Um, so, you know, there was the effort going in, because... After Liz left in at the end of January, I was the only sculpture on it, so I had to do all the work. You know, there was um, Stuart Freeborn in that side of it, and he had one or two sculptures with him, but I was the only sort of trained sculpture as such on, on the um, side of doing all the, ro- the sort of Vader and the characters. Right. So now... Let's talk a little bit about the different um, characters that you worked on. C-3PO, that was um, more of a collaboration with you and Liz Moore then? It was mainly Liz. It okay. was more or less finished when I got there. Um, as I say, Liz um, fini- finished on the picture at the end of January, and she'd done, she'd done all the different versions of 3PO. But when she left, what I actually did was uh, I carved the whole suit up in plaster sharpened it all up so what they did was they actually molded Lizzie's um, work cast it in plaster and then that's when I I got to work on it Um, and I did one or two little alterations and uh, one of the last things they needed hands for C-3PO and they wanted so quickly that they didn't have time to even mold Tony Daniels hands so I I had to sculpt them on his hands over one lunch hour. That's how <laughs> short time I had on it. So uh, that was it. I mean, that was mine, but I've, I've, I can't take much credit you know, on C3PO because it's Lizzie's sculpt. Right. Now, I had emailed you um, some photos because I thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about because um, I know a lot of these went through a lot of changes and there's a lot of differences between various um, you know, concept art sketches and drawings and you know what was ultimately done so for those listening um, I'm going to put these on the website in the article so if you're listening to this on iTunes if you go to um, the original prop blog and find this um, article I'll put the photos up and the first one um, or the first little series here is of the the C-3PO drawings and sketches and some of the sculpts um the first one that i labeled for you c3poa um those are that's and this is a a photo or scan from the lucas best of the lucasfilm archives book um in that one it looks very simplistic like there's none of the details i mean it's very sleek it looks much more like the the character in the metropolis movie Um, that's right yeah so I don't think they wanted it as feminine. And I have to be be honest with you now, Liz had done all that work before I ever started on the film because she started at the beginning of um, December 1975 and I started at the beginning of January 1976. So I started about five weeks after Liz. Okay. And she'd been doing all these maquettes and changes while, you know, before I even started. Yeah. Now, the... The second one, the one labeled C-3PO-B, you see the series of different head sculpts. Yeah. Um, now, when you worked on the Vader character, 
you didn't have this many different iterations of that character. It's just no, basically no, I, the, I, the single. With, with Vader, I had one drawing, and I had one do, uh, go at doing the sculpt. So I had a, a three-quarter angle um, line drawing from John Moe, about six inches high, and I've never seen that drawing since. Oh, really? Yeah, because that was my other question. Is I know I've I've read um, some other um, interviews with you, and I was always curious what the what the drawing was. Yeah, I mean, John Molo actually did a, a, a small drawing based on Ralph Macquarie's uh, concept art, but it was different, obviously, because I mean I've had several people say to me, "Why it wasn't Vader like the concept?" And basically, it was because I never worked from the concept. It was a, a drawing from John Mollo. Right. The I worked to Ralph Macquarie's concept paintings on the armor, but that was all. Not the hel- head, and, uh, the face mask, and the helmet. Right. Yeah, it's really interesting because um, in the files I sent you, there's one labeled Vader A, and that actually looks a lot like the um, the other one character. I think you sculpted. The the one the droid that's in the sand crawler and then at Moss Eisley. Oh, said free. Right. Yeah. Well, that that is what I believe was on one of the original concepts for Vader. Right. So that's really interesting because that character was pretty closely realized in that sculpt because of the the lines and everything are are um, you know pretty pretty close to what was in that drawing. And same with the Death Star droid. I think that's pretty close. I mean, if you look at the the picture of me actually sculpting, if you take that uh, uh, to a large size, you'll see actually how small the drawings I was actually working from. But that, again, they were Ralph Macquarie's. So in that um, illustration that I sent over to you that you're referencing, I think I labeled it Muir A, the one that you're sculpting is the Death Star droid, and then the one... Is the one in the background kind of where that corner of that table is, that um, C? C said three, that's right. Yeah. And if you look closely, there's half, just less than half a head. That's Vader. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, very cool. So you worked on them all within a pretty close time frame then? Fairly close. I mean, I think um, the Death Star droid was the last job I did on the film, and I finished in... I think it was the first week in May I finished. Okay. You know what's funny is when I was looking at your website, um, the picture of the Death Star droid, I'm like, wow, that looks so familiar. And, and I looked back in um, an article I put on my site. That was actually a photo I took at um, the Art of Star Wars exhibit in San Francisco back in 1995. So, Right. Um, it was just kind of surreal to see it on your website because I thought, oh, wow, that's so cool. Um because I actually got to see that one in in, in person. Um, I've, I've never actually seen seen it in person. Oh, really? No, I haven't. Yeah, I I, I I honestly always thought that was one of the coolest looking um, characters in the first film because it just looks so menacing with those big eyes and um, just the fact that it's kind of this metal plated um, character. But I, you know, I think there are some similarities with Vader. Um, yeah. Yeah, to, to be honest with you, I, I admit, after Vader, Vader has to be my favorite character. But yeah, I, I think the Death Star droid is, is after that is my favorite character, even before the um, Stormtroopers. Well, you know, it's kind of funny is because there's so many similarities with C-3PO, like the arms and the legs and everything get 
you're used to C-3PO's character being so um, just kind of British and lovable and um, a character. And then this this guy just looks like his evil brother or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, the reason that they're the, with the armor, the similarity is because they use some of the concept pieces from C-3PO for the armor. Is that it what that is? It wasn't time for me to do a complete set of armor. I just did the helmet on it. Okay, so like the chest piece, theoretically... Like the chest piece on CZ3, that was done by the old guy that I trained under. He came on the picture for about two weeks, and he did that chest piece. Okay. Um, so the same with CZ3. They made it up as different um, um, pieces from uh, 3PO and, and the chest piece that was made, and I did the helmet. Interesting. So... Of the other pictures I sent you, there's there's um, one labeled Vader C and one labeled Vader D, and the D version is just kind of a close-up. So this is an illustration you never really saw then working on the film. This was um, from the Star Wars Chronicle book, and it's attributed to John Mollo. No, that's, that's not what I work from. Definitely not. Yeah, because the thing that I found really interesting about that is there's like this symbol on the top of his helmet, and that looks like on his cape this kind of triangle shape, which I always thought was interesting. I don't mm. know if uh, what what they were really thinking there, but obviously it was, it was abandoned and <laughs> never used. Yeah, but. I mean, I, I don't I don't know what went on with the powers that be, I, um, sort of George Lucas and uh, John Barry, but, um, and why that, why John Mollow did the drawing um, to change the helmet and the, uh, mask but that discussion must have been had because john marlow did the drawing that i actually worked from i just distinctly i remember john saying to me oh go down to john marlow's office down at the wardrobe and uh, he's got a drawing from you uh, for you we want you to do a new character and that's when i went down there and uh, i got the drawing that i worked from so did you know that vader was going to be the villain at the time you were working on the sculpt did I know what? Sorry, that he was going to be the the antagonist of the film, like the main villain of the film. Oh, I was told that he had to be menacing. Um, so yeah, that I was told that, but uh, I didn't know just how iconic he was going to become. Um, but that was the big biggest brief that I needed to make him menacing. But. Uh, you know, I obviously had to have a fair bit of input on on the uh, look of Vader because, as I say, I just had one draw line drawing, no no shadow or anything like that to show three dimension. It was just literally, literally a line drawing from one angle. It you start with that drawing and you can actually work work the whole thing out, but um, you have to have a fair bit of input uh, yourself as well in the creation of what you're doing the you know the sculpting side right and, and was it challenging to figure out what to do with his eyes or did they always know that they were wanting to put lenses in there um that wasn't discussed for me i obviously sculpted the eyes in but they are i mean obviously when they cast them in fiberglass they have to be cut out but from what i remember they used um the lenses from ski goggles okay um, so, yeah, I mean, they definitely did. I know they did. They were only <laughs> cheap old plastic lenses, but 
it was skeet goggles that actually got the um, plastic lenses out to put use for Vader. Right. And so you also worked on the Stormtrooper armor? Yeah, yeah. Now, was it hard to figure out how to um, sculpt that so people could wear it? Because that's not something you'd ever really done prior to that, correct? Doing anything no, like no, I that. hadn't. But I mean, what what we actually did is we there was an average size guy that was molded, and funny enough, I was signing at a convention about six weeks ago, and a, a guy came up to me and said that he worked in the film industry, and that it was his granddad that they molded <laughs> to to um, to use, and his name's Dennis Plenty. Oh wow, he's seventy eight now, and. Um, <laughs> Apparently, he said that they, it was he, him that they actually molded to for me to sculpt the stormtroopers on. Wow. He was around about um, five foot ten and an average size, so he wasn't bulky. With the idea that, with the way I sculpted it, with the joints in and a gap, that you could get anyone up to maybe six foot six one max, and go down to about five five eight. So it allowed them to get a variety of sizes of guys in the suit. Wow. Interesting. So I know we only have a little bit amount of time, and I want to talk about a lot of the other films you worked on as well. Um, was Alien the next movie that you worked on? No, Alien was... The next movie I worked on after Star Wars was a bomb movie. And uh, for that, I did the tiger shark that Jaws fights with in the tank. Huh. Um, it's the one with Jaws in, and it's the spy who loved me. Yeah. And picks him up with a great big magnet and drops him in the shark pool, and then he's fighting with a, a tiger shark. Oh, right. Well, that's the tiger shark that I sculpted, and you also see it uh, swim up to an actress. <laughs> who, who actually gets eaten, so. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that was one of the jo jobs I did on that, and then a lot of Egyptian work and various other, other pieces. Yeah, and you actually worked on a lot of the Bond films. Uh, yeah, eight, eight Bond films in all. Okay. Um, yeah, one thing, you, you mentioned the shark that I didn't know until I started reading about you last year is um, on Raiders of the Lost Ark, you did the Cobra that I did, yeah. Harrison Ford faces and there's and I I always thought it it was always a real cobra in the whole the whole film so well they did use a real co cobra when they when they shot from behind Harrison's he, uh, head you were looking at a real cobra right and, and they, they had, had the a glass a right a glass there but when you were shooting from behind they were shooting from behind the cobra towards his face that was the one I sculpted okay. So if you look if you look at it closely, and I I had to keep stopping it to see which is the one because <laughs> I, I I used to look at the one from the front. That's I used to think that's real. That's not what I did. It's too real. <laughs> and then when you look at the one behind, it doesn't move so much. Right. It doesn't hardly move. So that's the one. That's the one that how you see my one. Yeah, I'm gonna have to watch that again and pay more attention to that scene. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And so you also worked on the Ark of the Covenant. That yeah, movie? that was in the first Raiders film as well. I mean, Keith Short did the figure on the top, but then I did a lot of the detail around the Ark. Okay, and you know, 
I know with Star Wars, obviously when you're working on the film, like most people, you had no idea what it was going to become. What about when you were working on Raiders? Did you have any sense that this was going to be like a really good film? Yeah, I mean, it was one of those films that, uh, you know, you had a good feeling. There was The whole film was enjoyable to work on. Um, but as far as the trilogy goes, I enjoyed working on Temple of Doom more because the just because of the work I was on it for longer, and just really enjoyed the, the work that I did on it. And you you actually did that heart that they rip out of the chest in that scene. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did the heart there. And the fun, one of the funny things was that. Um, they asked me to go over to Harefield um, Hospital where they do a lot of heart surgery and I saw a heart surgeon and he invited me to go um, to open heart surgery the following day, which I declined and said, uh, would he tell me you know, the closest heart that I can get to, to a human <laughs> heart? And he said, the primates. I said, well, I can't get that. But I ended up getting a lamb's heart just to... So, um, I had a lamb's heart to get the detail, the fatty crystal and all that sort of thing. And then I had a plastic model of a human heart to get the, the working of it right, the way where the arteries came out and all that sort of thing. Right. Um, yeah, but I mean, on the opening sequence, the gong with the dragon and the paramount uh, mountains on, I did that, but, the story behind that was I'd spent two weeks doing a really beautiful dragon that went right around the whole uh, gong with the Paramount Mountains in the middle. And then the art department uh, realized they'd given me the wrong scale for the mountains. <laughs> so I had two days to sculpt what you're seeing on the, you know, on the screen. Wow. That's the opening sequence where the, the gong rolls away and he runs behind it. Yeah. And then there were things like the elephant's head that he, he uh, when he's in the um, the temple, he actually puts his whip around it and swings down to the ground. And um, the two um, big horses that, that are in the um, in the banquet scene, that you've got the dancers and there are musicians on the stage, and behind them are, there are two handed horses. I carved, I did them, and oh, there was just loads and loads of work I did. Now, you work on a lot of things that are just huge, immense scale. Yeah, yeah. Is is that more challenging? I mean, just because of the, the, the sheer size of, of what you're working on? Not really. I mean, you've got to have an eye to take it up from the maquette, but other than that, it's pure mathematics. So, I mean, if you're taking up something 10 times as big, it's just measuring 10 times as big. But you've still got to have an eye to actually make the lines work 10 times as big as well. So, I mean, things like Clash of the Titans, I did a 25-foot figure on that and 10-foot higher serum balls. And, you know, I mean, on sort of several other jobs, it's, you're doing real big sculptures. Yeah, the um, space jockey in Alien was that was really huge as well, right? Yeah, that was twenty eight foot high. Wow! And there were two of us that worked on that. There was a guy called Peter Voisey and myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Funny enough, they're um, they're they're just finishing off another Alien at Pinewood, and I was got asked to go on it, um, but uh, Lindsay and I were out in Florida at the time, and you know I wasn't going to come back. So I came back and started on 
Dark Shadows instead. But I probably would have ended up doing the new Space Jockey. It's a bit different from the original, but very similar. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and, you know, just to kind of put it in context for, you know, people in the U.S. and, and other countries, what what's kind of the relationship with Elstree and Pinewood and how does that relate to the U.S., you know, especially, you know, in L.A. where we just have tons of movie studios? Are Elstree and Pinewood, like, the two real primary um, places where everything's shot there? Well, Elstree was, but they um, they knocked half the studios down. So it's the smaller studios. I did actually work uh, there for the first time in years, actually, since I had my workshop there um, on uh, Sherlock Holmes before Christmas. I was there for about four months. Uh-huh. Um, and... Pinewood is probably the major studio now in England, followed by well, where the uh, Harry Potter movies were made at Leavesden. Um, Warner's now have bought that, so that's now becoming, they're building a lot more stages. They're going to have the Harry Potter Museum there, and it, that's going to be huge. Um, the other uh, big studios is Shepton. Uh-huh. Um, but... I mean, Pinewood and Shepparton are under the same fr- franchise, and there's one or two others. Uh, Elstree is separate from them. Right. So do you see um, going forward into the future that there's going to be more things filmed in in England, or is it kind of just pretty consistent, or you know, kind of what's the state of production over there? Well, at the moment, things are going crazy over here. There are just films lying out, but it's very, very busy. There are three major film, films in Pinewood at the moment. The one I've just finished on, on Dark, Dark Shadows, Snow White and Huntsman, and Alien. Okay. So it's big, and then you've got a Bond lined up to come in. Um, uh, Iron Man they're going to be making over here soon. So what are what are the advantages of having productions over in England compared with the U.S. or Canada or other places? I don't know. I mean, we're renowned for having very good craftsmen over here, technicians throughout yeah. the industry. I suppose price comes into it, as it always does. I mean, uh, there was a period of time when they disappeared from here and they were making them in like Eastern Europe, Prague and the like. So, yeah, price always comes into it. Yeah. Now, as an artist, you know, you've worked so much in film. Do you like working in a more collaborative um, environment? Or, you know, sometimes do you kind of like being more independent and working on your own thing? Like, how does that factor in as an artist? Well, I mean, I had 10 years of having my own workshop and chasing work, doing my own not my own personal work, but actually doing um, commissions um, for various, you know, organisations or, or whatever was needed. Uh, I did stuff for Kensington Palace Gardens for the really ornate ballroom, and that was all at a price. And you know, I employed people to work for me. Um, so there was a, a lot of. Um, responsibility from my point of view mm-hmm. so in a way now i'm quite happy to go and sign on movies and not have the responsibility of chasing money um organizing getting the work 
seeing the job through. You know, I enjoyed it for the 10 years I did it, but it was getting harder and harder at that time. It would probably be very easy to do it again now because there's so much work about. But um, I think my days of having workshops and, uh, you know, sort of taking on big commissions are, are gone, really. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to see my days out working on movies or, you know, whatever comes along. Right. Um, how how do you feel about um, CGI and just sort of... Because um, obviously, I mean, with Star Wars, you kind of have really gone along with all the advances in movie making technology in terms of what you see on screen and special effects and whatnot. Does the, have you seen that impact um, the amount of work that's done, you know, with real objects and sculpting and props and, you know, set decorations and things like that? It's changed, but I, I personally don't think CGI is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing if it's not used too much. Mm-hmm. It's when they go down that road too much where there's not nothing on a set for actors to respond to. Right. I think it's great when you actually extend the set up like they did on the likes of Gladiators where you, you, you're seeing Rome or something from a, a distance and it, it looks incredible. Um, I mean, one thing that's more or less totally disappeared now is creatures because it's all done with your computer, whereas... You'd do a creature, they'd laser copy it, and then do it on the computer, as in CGI. Now it's they're actually sculpted on the computer. Right. So you know the creature shops have more have just about disappeared. The likes of Henson's have folded some years back now because of that. Right. Um, but CGI, I think it's a great tool if used moderately. You know, and. and it actually does create a lot of sculpting in a way because um, directors and producers get far more ambitious as to what they can do, which does involve actually sculpt, sculpting at the same time. Right. Well, you worked a little bit on um, The Phantom Menace, correct? Um, well, only a tiny job. It was the spaceship leg. Yeah. That I would... was the, um, the Star Wars that was made at Leesden Studios. Yeah, I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on how how much things changed from when you know A New Hope was filmed versus The Phantom Menace, which obviously used a lot more um, computer graphics and green screen and. I, well, I mean that's more or less what I was saying earlier on. I, I think they probably went too far with green screen and computer graphics on on that that movie. Um, and I think they changed towards the end. I mean, the last two were made in Australia, so we didn't have anything to do with that. But I think they had a better balance on the last two. Right. Um, do you have any thoughts on how um, they're releasing films now in 3D and really making that a big marketing push? So, sorry, I wasn't quite with you with that question. Um, the... Th- how they're coming out with the movies in 3D now. Do you have any opinions on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing or um, maybe how it affects the filmmaking process when they're shooting for 3D instead of, um, you know, just shooting more traditional? It doesn't really affect what we're doing. I mean, that's further down the line to us. It's not something that, you know, I get involved with ever really. So it doesn't, it doesn't really affect me, and as far as having an opinion on it, I haven't really, to be honest with you. Yeah. 
I, I mean, it's great to go and see. I mean, I've seen one or two in 3D, and, and yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's more of a novelty, though. I don't, I, you know, and I think there is a technical side that the um, pirate films, uh, you know, it stops that that happening, doesn't it? I, I believe so. Right. So I think maybe that's why they were pushing for more for 3D to a point, but I don't know. It's. Um, I think it. It's not something that's going to sort of really sort of last. Yeah. Time. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I'm not a really big fan. I think it's more kind of a gimmick to yeah, sell yeah, more tickets yeah. and higher price tickets and yeah. sell more expensive TVs. Because <laughs> for me, I don't think it really adds very much. And I think for a lot of people, it's just kind of a distraction. But um, you yeah. know, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, I, 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 I tend to agree exactly with what you said, actually. It's a bit of a gimmick for a while. It might put a few bums on seats, but I, <laughs> I don't think long term it will. Yeah. So, how did you come about? Um, I know you're you're pretty active on the um, replica prop forum. How did you sort of get interested in seeing, um, you know, what was going on with the fan community and you know, people are fans of movies and particularly Star Wars. Well, to be honest with you, I never knew anything about the conventions or the prop forums whatsoever, and it wasn't until uh, 2006. I had a, a phone call to say, would I take a call from a fan in America? And um, he came over and I got chatting to him and he told me about the forums. And um, and it went from there, really. Um, I was watching what was going on on the RPF and um, the prop den for a few years and I was being misquoted and wrong facts being put down so so much that in the end um, I felt that I had to go on and put a few facts right. But I had a bit of fun going on because very arrogantly and purposefully I... I said, I, and I knew it'd wind them up because I'd been watching it for two years. I said, I know more about the skulls in the Vader than anyone else. Uh, they all, they were all calling me a big head and a puppet and all that. And I was, I was killing myself laughing. And then that, that they were having discussions. No, this guy sounds as though he, he sounds too, um, too over the top to not be true. <laughs> so there was, I was actually getting uh, phone calls at least because I was working on Harry Potter at the time and they couldn't put me through, but they got through to home and Lindsay said, yeah, I was working there and it was me. So, yeah, I mean, it, it went from there really. I, I've, yeah, yeah, I mean, they apologised, but they didn't need to because I'd, I'd actually sort of done it purposely <laughs> for a bit of a laugh, but. Anyway, um, and from then we we put as many facts out. A lot of the facts and the stuff that had been arguing about for years were put right. And um, I suppose I don't know if I've ruined it to a point for them <laughs> because whereas they had a lot of fun or didn't have fun in some cases arguing about points, you know they've been put right on them. Yeah. So was was it interesting to to you to see how? Um trying to find the right word that won't offend <laughs> the first mind that came to the first word that came to mind was obsessed but i mean people are really into particularly darth vader um you know just every detail every nuance um you know and, and replicating it like you know to exacting accurateness 
um, to match, you know, what, what was actually made in the film. I mean, was that, you know, what was your reaction to reading this, you know, kind of from afar and just sort of getting a glimpse into how, you know, how much people really love that character and, you know, how much those movies mean to them? Well, I mean, it's fantastic from that point of view, but I want to know about that, but, uh, you know, if... Right. Okay. So this will be my last question because I know we're going to run out of time. Um, You know, in a lot of different um, entertainment magazines and TV shows and stuff, they always do these specials where they have, like, you know, the top 100 movies, the top 100 heroes, and then, you know, the villains... It seems like Darth Vader's always like number one or number two. Mm. Um, what's it like for you to know you played a part in, you know, bringing that character to life and then seeing it on screen and just seeing how truly iconic it is and long lasting, you know, the film is and particularly um, that character? Well, I'm, I'm very proud to have been involved with it. And obviously, it's a real pleasure to have seen him come to life on the screen initially and. I mean, when we went to the first cruise showing, because we weren't sure what to expect. I mean, everyone applauded that the, when the spaceship went over and then at the end, the film had a standing ovation, which I've never <laughs> seen before and never seen since in all the cruise showings I've been to. <laughs> so, I mean, it was a pretty special movie and it was before its time. Mm-hmm. And uh, to have been involved with it, as I said, it makes me very proud and... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to the conventions and signing and chatting with the fans now. You can see how many people have had pleasure out of the, um, the series of films over the years. And, yeah, it's great. Okay. Well, thanks so much for um, taking the time to talk to me. And uh, if people want to learn more about you or, or pick up your book, then go to brianmuirvadersculptor.com. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Jason, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for listening to our program, Prop Talk. For the latest news about the world of original television and movie memorabilia, please visit us online at www.originalpropblog.com.
Um, I have a guy here. Um, you can't even say Moosebusters. 